I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. It's great to see you, Miriam. And I'm so excited to have this conversation today with Tess Posner from AI for All. It's great to see you, Mark. And yes, I am so excited to talk with Tess. It's always a pleasure to talk with her and hear about the important work she's doing. And I also can't wait to hear about the, some of the inspiring stories that she can share with us. I love hearing about the students and the great work that they're doing. Uh, yeah, I think Tess, Tess is, is a really unique person in AI for All is doing really important work. And I think just hearing about uh, those stories is, is going to inspire us and, and hopefully all of our listeners too. Agreed. Let's jump in. All right, let's do it. Today on our show, we're so happy to have Tess Posner. Tess is a social entrepreneur focused on increasing equity and inclusion in tech. She's the CEO of AI for All, an organization working tirelessly to make artificial intelligence more diverse and inclusive and ensure that AI is developed responsibly. AI for All is a US-based nonprofit dedicated to increasing diversity and inclusion in AI education, research, development, and policy. As of December 2020, AI for All impacted 12,300 people in all 50 states and around the world through programs and alumni outreach. Before joining AI for All, she was Managing Director of Tech Hire and Opportunity at Work, a national initiative launched out of the White House to increase diversity in the tech economy. And before that, Tess built and ran SAMA School, a nonprofit that equips low-income people to find work in the digital economy. Her work has been featured by The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, CNBC, TechCrunch, and many others. And she has been funded by some of the top national foundations and influencers, including Melinda Gates, Google.org, Microsoft, Capital One, JP Morgan Chase, and several others. She's also the co-author of The People-Centered Economy, The New Ecosystem for Work. We are so pleased to have you on our show today, Tess. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, why don't we start off with the beginning of, of your entry into tech and AI and diversity. How did you become so passionate about the mission of creating a diverse pipeline in the tech industry? Yeah, thank you so much. It's um, a good question. So I actually started out working in the education space and specifically workforce development with youth. And this was back, gosh, over 10 years ago now, um, really focusing on young people who had um, emancipated from the foster care system and were trying to get into long-term careers and stable housing and find success in work and life. And we were running this computer lab to help young people with their resumes and build hands-on skills to get that first job. Um, coming out of the foster care system, that first job can mean everything to a young person who's just starting their journey. And one of the things that we started to see, um, because a lot of foster youth bounce around to different homes, they may not have had consistent computer access growing up. And so one of the things that became increasingly clear as we were helping young people just get customer service jobs, like these weren't jobs in the tech industry, but you needed basic computer skills to even apply. So for example, at like a Walgreens or a CVS job, there's a computer test that is asking you about your customer service skills, um, but you have to take it on a computer, it's timed, and there's a certain number of questions and you're, you're competing against people who are going to 
um, do it at a certain speed. So basically what this means is if you're not used to using the interface of a computer that some people might find really obvious or easy, but if you didn't grow up with a computer, you may not have as much familiarity, which has absolutely nothing to do with the skills of the job itself, which are customer service. And yet at the same time, those digital skills, even, you know, were required to compete at the, for the most entry level jobs. So what really became clear in that experience for me was that tech skills, digital skills were becoming the new basic skills and your ability to build, have access to a computer number one at the basic level, but also really starting to build those basic digital literacy skills were required to even enter the economy and start any career in any industry. So that's when I really started to see this. This is really the issue when we think about um, whether or not we have equal opportunity and equity in the opportunities that are available today and your ability to make a living wage, to progress on a great career, that the digital skills piece is really one of the core issues and preventions to everybody having a chance to succeed. So that's when I first started to connect my passion for education and workforce development with technology specifically and how those issues are becoming more and more interconnected around who gets access, who doesn't, and where the equity is in any jobs in the economy. What a, what a terrific background to bring to this important work. And, and, and yeah, you've taken us, I think, right up to the present. So um, let's, uh, let's ask you, you know, what's the state of play right now in terms of um, diversity and equity in the tech industry? Um, and based on what you're seeing, what you're experiencing through your work, are you optimistic? <laughs> Great question. Um, so I think today, like if we look at who has access, I mean, looking specifically at youth, only 45% of high schools in the United States currently teach computer science. And if you look at, you know, income and race as other cross-sectionals, the numbers become even worse where you see students that are in private schools or in more well-resourced areas are getting that access to computer science and building those digital skills. And obviously for a field that is going to affect everything and every industry in the world, as we just talked about, um, the inequities in access start early and start even before high school, like that's specifically for high school. Um, so that's the first thing that worries me because a lot of our career aspirations are shaped when we're young and what we think is possible is shaped when we're young. We also think about access to high quality math education that is also incredibly unequal and segregated across like income and other um, racial lines. And so we look at math skills are so essential to computer science um, and other fields that are the fields that will play such an important role in, in shaping the future. So that's on the, the education side. When you look at, of course, the job and career side, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to be, to kind of have pause in terms of optimism, because as we've seen over the last couple of years, there's been a big investment in diversity and inclusion, and yet we haven't been able to move the needle in a significant way. And that is pretty alarming when you think about billions of dollars are being spent on all these initiatives. But what is it really doing? What are the real root causes that are actually preventing some of these initiatives from being successful? So I think, for example, a lot of people focus on the hiring 
metrics. Like, are we hiring a diverse workforce? But really, that's just one piece of the puzzle because it really comes down to retention, uh, advancement, and leadership and power. And you see those are a lot of the pieces that haven't moved, even if we're seeing some gains in like the hiring space. So I think, though, you know, we're in a bit of a reckoning right now where people are starting to realize and come to terms with, you know, how the history of the United States has set up certain um, very problematic systems of systemic racism and oppression and what that really means and how it's embedded within all these different structures. And I think that more people are having those conversations and starting to see it's not just about building this pipeline. It's about what happens to the pipeline when they enter the workforce and there are issues of toxic cultures, bias, whether it's direct or implicit, and how those systems of power continue to keep the status quo alive. And so that to me is where we really need to focus is on those deeper questions of what's holding this back versus just continuing to invest in the same things that don't seem to be moving the needle at the scale that we need it to happen and as quickly as we need it to happen. So I guess I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're starting to look at some of those deeper questions and really engage with them. And I hope that work continues. Well, I'm really glad you've addressed this point. There's this debate right now about whether or not there's a pipeline issue. And I think given the stats you've said, and we all know, it's hard to argue that there's not a pipeline issue. I mean, there's certainly not equity in who has access to computer science uh, in the younger years, the K through 12, let alone who's choosing to access these programs in college. We know that it's less than a third female and a significantly smaller portion are, are persons of color, let alone women of color, etc. cetera. Um, but you raise a really important point that there's more work to do in terms of retention. Um, and, and what I would love to learn from you is you've obviously uh, identified some magic here, or maybe it's not magic. Maybe it's some science we can all learn from. You've gotten, you know, over 10, 12,000 people, young people into this field of work who likely would not have been interested or comfortable entering it otherwise. Are there some lessons, some strategies you've gleaned that we can all learn from as to how you're bringing new people into the tech space and how you're encouraging them to stay? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I think one of the things that we've learned from AI for All is that, and I agree with you, it's, it's not just a pipeline problem. And I think the conversation is usually like very black and white, like it's either a pipeline problem or it's not. And I think the truth is it's more complicated. We do need more people learning about technology careers and having access at earlier ages. And we need to do just as much work in the company space to make sure that those young people that are excited about the careers are able to succeed and advance and hold leadership positions in the long term. And that is much of a holistic solution that we need. So I'll speak from AI for all, you know, I think we are trying to build the pipeline, but equally we have this alumni program that we're working on called Changemakers in AI. And this is really a key part of our model. So I'd say about like 50% of what we do is sparking interest in young people who may not have heard about AI as a career or computer science or tech or see themselves in it. 
And I'll talk about that. And then the other 50% is this alumni program, which is community of peers that are excited about the field that are, you know, on this pathway with you that you can share and be um, connected to across the entire world. It's like an international community. We provide internships, mentors and role models and ongoing um, technical support really around like building technical skills and getting access and exposure to different career pathways. And so that is just as critical as the sparking interest piece. Um, but one of the things that we've really learned on the, the sparking interest piece is that when we think about the media's role in AI, I think that has a really big role to play. So one of the things that we do is we try to bring in people from interdisciplinary types of AI research and different applications of AI that may not have been featured in the news as, as prominently. Like we hear a lot about robots and killer robots and, you know, all these bizarre, you know, more like newsworthy ideas. Um, but there's a lot of really, really interesting research being done in AI across different um, industries that having students get that full picture of really what's possible and also learning from diverse role models and mentors that it's not just, you know, homogenous group that's building this technology. There's actually amazing people doing work in healthcare, in social impact, you know, in, um, we have student who interned at NASA who is looking for life on Mars using AI tools. Um, we have students working on water quality issues on climate change. And so showing the full gamut, I think is, is really critical as well as empowering students. Like this is something that they can basically bring their unique passion and skill set to to help shape. And I think that, you know, young people have so much, like not just potential, but so much passion around things that um, they want to do or they want to see change. And there's this incredible growth and the interest in social impact and changing the world that we see in Gen Z and, and younger. And so how do we tap that into technology and really say, this can be rocket fuel for your ideas? Like, how do we help you just unleash yourself on the world and tap into that unique um, passion and, and skill set that you have to really see AI and tech as a tool to enhance that, you know, whatever that passion is. So I think that approach, rather than seeing it as a, you know, maybe a more limited set of skills, but it's really about um, connecting AI to their passions and saying, you could run with this and create something like this is your field to shape. I think has, we've seen that be very effective because it gives young people a way to tap in their innate passions into this technology tool and really give them the, um, the voice to shape the future of what this field could be. So that's one of the things that I just wanted to share in terms of um, what we've seen be effective. I think another thing is around, you know, this connection to their peers. Like we hear all these amazing organic things that happen where young people start projects together um, that they're passionate about. And it's really exciting to see that kind of organic connection and who knows what will happen with that in the future, whether it's companies being founded or just that tight knit group of peers that you can rely on as things come up throughout your career path. So there's many more, but those are just some that I'd mentioned off the bat. 
Well, it's really a tremendous kind of ecosystem that you've built uh, around the whole the whole kind of um, uh, pipeline and the cohort and the alums and and you know I think really. Um, a kind of very different approach than, than what we see sometimes in more limited kind of purely skills oriented boot camp type environments. And, and I think really exciting to connect the tool of AI to the passion, you know, the problem that someone's trying to solve. And I, I wanted to, you know, just just pause on that for a second, because I know that there have been some incredible graduates uh, and, 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 and members of different cohorts who have gone on to do amazing things. And I wanted to just have you maybe share an example or two of some stories about a, a student or um, participant who's uh, inspired you, uh, you know, who's kind of gone on this journey with you and then um, gone on to do something really exciting with the, the tools and the network and so on that they were able to get through their participation. Yeah, great question. That's my favorite question because <laughs> there's so many good stories. Um, a couple that I'll share. So... We, um, you know, like we were saying, encourage students to connect AI to their passions. But I think what's come out of that has surprised everyone because we, it, it really shows that our proposition, which is that if you include more people in the building and shaping of technology, you're going to have more interesting and innovative solutions. And I think like we see that every day. And so, for example, we have a student who grew up in a rural community and she is working, was working with a mentor to address water quality issues with AI. And that was something that directly impacted her growing up and her family's farm. Um, she's now going to Stanford and she's gonna study AI, which is amazing to see that trajectory. We have another student who won best paper award while she was still in high school um, at one of the NeurIPS um, conferences for her research around um, something in healthcare. And she was competing against all adults and in high school like won this award, which is just absolutely incredible. Um, we have another student who worked with a group actually that she met in AI for All, focusing on um, identifying wildfires and how to track them using satellite imagery before, so you can kind of have this early detection um, before, you know, you might have people calling up or, or noticing that they're starting. There's another one of a, of a young woman who um, lost her grandmother, unfortunately, because the ambulance didn't arrive on time. And so she came up with the idea of how do you um, sort emergency calls by urgency using the AI data? And is there a way to kind of create a urgency system to make sure that the most um, needed you know, situations are getting help first. So these are ideas that, you know, are coming directly out of the student's experience and things that we would never have thought of. And it's just amazing to see their unique creativity and how that's going to, I'm sure, surprise us all and continue to amaze us with what is possible in the future. Um, so those are just some of the things we've seen. The other thing though I wanted to share is that it's so interesting because one of the impacts that we've seen that I didn't expect is this network effect. So for example, we have students that are so excited about AI that they wanna go and start like a club at their high school or their middle school, or they just wanna teach it to other people um, because they're so excited about the possibilities and it's fun and exciting. And so for every one student we impact, they go on to impact 13 more. 
Um, so that's like really incredible when you think about it, because we didn't really plan that out. It just organically happened. And then we started to build out some supports to help them do that if they wanted to. But I think it shows also that there is that kind of network effect when you have young people getting into the field and, you know, you never know what's going to come out of that. And it's a way that we can also scale this work further, um, you know, leveraging the, ne- the powerful network of peers that is organically built. I love it when you share your stories. It's it's so inspiring to hear, first of all, how you've empowered these young people to take on these projects that are so meaningful to them. You've given them skills that will benefit them tremendously, whether they go on to work in AI or not, at least they understand how it works. They understand some of its power and how it impacts all of us in in their own community. And I also love how they've created tools that improve their community and so many others. You know, the ambulance story of the young woman who had a tragedy that you mentioned with her grandmother. Um, And now anyone who uses her AI program going forward will have an ambulance system that's based on need and urgency as opposed to a haphazard program or, or some other structure. And so we all benefit from the insights of your students, which is really exciting. So I'm wondering if, uh, given all of this work you're doing with students and the school systems, uh, if you have recommendations that you were make, would make. So if you were to talk to President Biden and you were to say, given my work in this area, tech, AI, diversity, something we know that this administration cares about, what are one or two things you think they should focus on immediately? Yeah, well, I think definitely digital access, as we mentioned. Um, I think with the pandemic, we've seen just how much of a barrier that is. And it's really concerning to hear about how especially black and brown students have been disproportionately impacted by having about all the effects of the pandemic, but specifically school going virtual. And it's like, who has access to a you know quiet space? Who has access to the internet? I think it's something that we forget because it sounds really obvious, like, oh, everyone has a smartphone, but not everyone has access to high speed internet. And you know, that I think is is really, really important as we think about who can succeed in the future. Um, I would also say in terms of computer science in schools, thinking about an AI component, like what does an, a national AI education strategy look like? We, we've been saying we want to invest in AI research at a national level. We want to invest in this talent. We want to be able to compete in the global stage. We want to be able to use AI responsibly and ethically, and we want to be able to shape solutions for the future challenges, whether it's climate change, poverty, education, et cetera, using AI technology. The only way that you're going to do that is if you have a diverse set of leaders truly um, forging ahead and shaping this from the ground up. And so using equity and diversity inclusion as a lens to think about what is the AI talent strategy it's going to make us, you know, prepared for what's coming in terms of the challenges. To me, is absolutely critical, and it's not just a, you know, an equity play. It's really about thinking about what's going to yield the highest quality um, solutions for us that are truly representing the needs of the communities that we're trying to serve and bring more people into successfully thriving in the next 10, 20, 30 years. 
So when I think about that from a national level, it's like, how are we going to do that when AI is not taught at the schools? How are we going to do that when it's only accessible to a very small percentage of people? How are we going to do that if it's built mostly by white men? How, how can we possibly think to compete? Only 13% of AI companies are run by women. And of course, the numbers are even more abysmal when you look at people of color and black and brown talent. And so to me, it's just egregious. And we have to focus on that piece of it in order to kind of make good on the promises that we're talking about today and where the space is going and what our, our you know, I think a lot of us are hopefully optimistic about AI. I think there's definitely real concerns that can make us feel nervous, rightfully so. We have to do it in, a, in, a, in the right way. But it, it holds a lot of possibilities, you know, to, to help make the world better for a big number of people and help kind of amplify our problem solving capabilities. But I think in order for it to live up to that, we have to focus on diversity and inclusion today. And it's probably one of the most urgent things in my mind that we should be doing around the responsible use of AI. Well, I very much hope that uh, people are listening over in the White House and on Capitol Hill. I'm sure that they're all rapidly tuned in uh, to our podcast. And um, I think that that uh, is, is a really important message for, for folks to hear who are going to be um, making important decisions about education, about technology, uh, and all of the interrelated areas that you've, you've brought together in that, in that really thoughtful response. Um, Tess, we like to end our podcast with a, a question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, it is uh, about a rose, a thorn, and a bud for AI. And basically, the rose is something that you're really jazzed about, excited about, uh, a product, a, a policy, something that, that's really great. Um, the thorn is basically the opposite, something that you're seeing that you are fearful of or um, uh, think we should be concerned about. And the bud is something coming down the pipeline that um, you're excited about for the future. Great. Good question. Um, I think for the Rose, I'm excited that there's more of a focus on AI ethics. I think when I started, you know, when we were earlier on in, in AI for All, we basically weren't hearing about that so much. I mean, I think it was something well known among AI practitioners and AI leaders, but in terms of the national conversation, like not so much. Um, and I think the increased attention is um, is really good because it, it forces people to think about what are we really doing here? And hopefully the conversation will mature further beyond just, um, you know, where it is today, which is kind of how do we actually govern this? Like, what does responsibility mean? And there's still like a lot of questions about how to do that in the right way, but it is great to see that being paid attention to. Um, I think the thorn, you know, not to repeat myself, but definitely is the, the diversity crisis. I worry that the pandemic will amplify the inequities in tech. Uh, it will potentially amplify the diversity crisis that we're seeing today. Um, but I'm hopeful that, again, the increased awareness that people have around some of these issues, and it, it hits home for a lot of people. This has been an incredibly challenging time. A lot of people have lost loved ones. A record number of people have died or been affected in the long term. And I'm hopeful that 
despite all of that, we will grow in compassion, self-awareness and understanding of what it really takes to create a better world, not just for, for ourselves and our family, but for everyone, because we see how interconnected that is. So I think the thorn um, could turn into a bud, <laughs> uh, which my bud is, I think just getting to work with such amazing people um, on my team, you know, they're the ones really working tirelessly every day to make this happen, for to make AI for All happen. And we have an amazing network of partners that includes universities and teams within universities, corporate partners, nonprofit partners on the community level. And I think there's a lot of people that do care about solving this problem. And I'm, I feel inspired every day that I get to work with them because I, I do, that makes me hopeful that despite the things that we're afraid of, despite the pandemic that we've been through, that we can actually create a better world and that we can slowly move the needle in the direction that we want. Um, so I think I'm optimistic in the end that uh, we can we can go with that. And just being and inter interacting with such amazing people helps me keep believing in that every day. Well, thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. You are so inspiring. The work that you're doing is so important. We know that you can't underestimate how challenging it is to change our current trajectory and that it takes your and your team's work day in, day out to do that. So thank you for all that you do and, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us about it today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tess. Well, I thought that was a great conversation, Miriam. I was really impressed by the work that Tess and AI for All are doing, not just to help address some of the skills gaps and skills development that we constantly are hearing about the need to, to address, uh, but also to create a real kind of wraparound environment and ecosystem for young people who want to make an impact in the AI space and to have it not just be about developing skills, but also giving them the tools and the networks and the resources that they need to use those skills for something really positive. I agree, Mark. I think it's really exciting to hear someone who is front lines. You know, we're having so many conversations about, is it pipeline? Is it other problems? Is it culture that can be fixed? And, and she is, just in there doing it. She's making sure that we have a diverse pipeline and thinking through all the different ways to make sure that it's as broad and approachable and, uh, and enduring as possible. I loved how she said that part of what they do is try to provide the rocket fuel to launch the interests of those that they're working with. That sounds like something we can really learn from as we think about how to create a broader pipeline and how to make sure that tech is more diverse. I, I couldn't agree more. And I thought the, the amazing figure that she cited there was that um, 13 people who get activated by each of the one people, persons who move through her program. And um, this idea of uh, not just kind of, you know, helping individuals improve their skills and, and get them activated, but uh, to have each of them then uh, help activate others and, and broaden that conversation and that pipeline. Uh, to me, that just seems like a very exciting and scalable model. Exciting and scalable. Really cool to learn about an opportunity for both of those things to happen. I'm so glad we had Tess on the show and I can't wait to hear our next conversation. 
Yeah, we'll see you soon, Miriam. Take care, Mark. You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. Subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 